Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Michael Marchuk. And today on the Transform Now podcast, we have our very special guest, Eric Tyree, Head of Research and AI at Blue Prism. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Hey, great to be here. We're so glad to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Blue Prism? Sure. I'm the uh, SVP of AI and innovation. My day job is to look after AI and the company worry about how do we get AI into the robots and how digital workers have got human capabilities. But I also do a lot of work around, you know, thinking about the future of work, thinking about product changes and product strategy around how we, we not only help our, our customers think about the future of the work, but to, to actually realize it. That makes sense. I know we're seeing a huge change in the way our clients are viewing automation, especially in the light of the great resignation. Can you provide any insight as to why that might be? Yeah, it's really what, what the great recession has done is one has changed work patterns. And so people are now working for home much more. And, and the, the general consensus is that's going to continue. I mean, the, we're probably on the tail end of the pandemic now, but the, the all indications is that there's a new normal in terms of working from home. And so therefore work patterns have to change. But you also have the Great Recession, which is a lot of people are changing how they work. They're changing the, the kind of jobs that they're doing. And it's created a skill shortage and a worker shortage. And automation is, is suddenly coming to the forefront to deal with that. One of the things that, that I think people you know, assume with robotics is that you know, robots are taking jobs from people. And, and, then, and when it comes to software robotics, it's actually the other way around. Organizations are adopting automation because they don't have enough people. And, and the classic example is you're, you're trying to grow your business and you cannot get the skills you need to be able to you know, fulfill the roles that, that come up as business grows. So people are turning to digital workers um, to be able to do that. By the same token, organizations are looking at automation strategies where they say, look, I, I have just enough people to get by, but I got a lot of people doing work. I say I'm a bank and I have them doing work around compliance. I have them doing work around risk assessment. These are all essential things I have to do um, as a bank. But that doesn't make me any money. So what organizations are doing is saying, hey, what if we took all these people who are working in the back office and put them in front of customers or customer services, and we automate all this compliance and risk management stuff. So the role of automation has now risen in part because there's a shortage of skills, there's a shortage of people. And, and the ultimate irony of this is that it's not that robots are, again, they're not taking away people's jobs. They're fulfilling the roles that they can't be hired in the first place. So what ironically, I think that, that automation is actually saving people's jobs. It's keeping these businesses profitable. It's keeping them competitive in, in ways in which would, would not be able to be otherwise. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. So how does intelligent automation and AI help business actually be more competitive? I mean, it's one thing to help them keep the jobs so, and, and stay profitable, uh, but if they can't find workers for those jobs, how does that help them actually become more competitive? Okay, so there's two answers to this question. And there's the answer, which is the sort of more technical one, which I'll start with. But there's also the way in which people are using automation to be more competitive. And this is much more about going back to automation strategy, but intelligent automation's a big part of this. So if you roll back, you know, the clock and um, you look at where RPA started, it was very much about automating manual tasks. So we'll go back to the bank as the example, but it could be any, it could be a telco, it could be anything. 
So somebody wants to open an account. So you'd submit your, your application to open the account, say through the web. And somebody would have to go through that manually. They probably they may well have even had to um, enter some of the data manually into a system. They would then go pull another system that does your KYC checks, your credit checks and all that, and bring it all together and then process your application. I really realized, look, a very fast and efficient way of, of, of making this a bit cheaper and, and get a faster service turnaround was what if we used RPA to pull the data from one system to another, used RPA to put the data into the systems and prepare the application process. And then someone thought we could be a lot more efficient because the other thing we're doing when you open an account is you're submitting ID documents and you're sending other documentation. We could use AI to process those documents now. So what if we added that to the mix? And now we could be as competitive as FinTech because now my account opening process is fully automated, even though I've never had to rebuild any systems. So not only is automation making a business more competitive by taking the sort of manual work and therefore the speed to value for customers out, but the sophistication with which you can do it is much greater now. Processing documents and classifying documents, extracting information from documents, intelligently is now routine. This isn't even cutting edge anymore. This is called a table stake for, for doing automation. So suddenly you're in a position where the scope for automation within a business is much higher. So now what people are doing, taking this back up to automation strategy, is they're looking at how do I respond to a competitive environment and use automation as a tool to do that? So for example, a small bank is under extreme pressure from FinTech. FinTech can turn around a mortgage application in two minutes. Most small banks need about a week. So what they do is they ring up their head of IT and say, hey, can I get a straight through processing system that can process a mortgage application in two minutes like my competitors? And the IT say, sure, we can do that. That will cost you 15 million and take us about two years to do. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I don't have two years and I still don't have 15 million. And I know full well that a large scale IT project is not gonna be two years, it's gonna be four years. And if you tell me it's 15, it's gonna be 35. So no, I don't wanna do that. So they're looking at using automation instead. And what they do is they automate the processes running on top of their legacy systems and they can get that two minute mortgage. So it's very much about looking at where's my competitive pain? Where are the areas that I can automate um, to be able to deal with that? And using automation to create that, you know, if it's a competitive experience issue, using automation to create that competitive customer experience. But the point here, the moral of the story really is that the reason people are turning to automation for competitiveness is because it's a lot faster and a lot cheaper if you do it through automation. You don't necessarily have to go down that path of rebuilding all your systems. But but that's just one example of it. You're seeing it in, in, in retail as well. So everyone's looking at Amazon and now Walmart, who are becoming almost a competitor to Amazon. This is terrifying people. But they've realized, hey, we're gonna respond not to just one Amazon, now we got two. They're, they've realized, okay, we've got to automate all, you know, as much of our processing as we possibly can so we can drive cost out of the business and deliver that kind of uh, value to the customer that these giants are doing. And again, automation is seen as a way to, to do that quickly, to do it very efficiently, but also to do it flexibly. Because if I use digital workers to do my automation, I could change them. If my processes change, I just got to reprogram the digital workers. I don't have to rip my systems out. It gives them a lot of agility in an uncertain world as well. Hmm. So Eric, you mentioned a bunch of different things, especially with Amazon and FinTechs in terms of the way they're approaching their business models. And from my perspective, Digital transformation is an overused word when it comes to these technology-led business changes. Is the business really being transformed when it's business as usual? You know, is faster invoice processing and report consolidation and whatnot really transforming the business? What, what are your thoughts on that? 
I, I think transformation, the word transformation implies a state change. So if you're approaching um, automation from a process efficiency point, which is perfectly valid, everyone does it this way. A lot of people do it this way. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't want to knock it at all. But if you're going in at one process at a time, you're improving your business. But you're not really transforming it at that level. What businesses are doing now is they realize that intelligent automations reach a state where we, we can have a state change in an organization. So I'll go back to the mortgage desk. So an improvement on the mortgage desk is automating the, the account processing stage. A transformation of the mortgage desk is to take all of the processes on the mortgage desk and reconstruct them from an automation first point of view. So in other words, you you take everything that you're doing as a mortgage business and you automate everything you possibly can and you use people where they're most valuable. So it's both that OPEX ship like thing I was talking about before, where you put your people to where they're most valuable, automate where, where they're not adding value, but actually going the one step further and just automate as much as you possibly can. People do this because that gives them the competitiveness that, that they're looking for, but also that is a state change in terms of how you think. And what's interesting about it is when we talk to, to people about, well, wait, okay, I get it. This is valuable. I get that I could do this, but how do I do it? I've got mostly manual processes and you're telling me I should take all 200 of my processes and in one shot, convert them all into automation. And they go, well, how do I do that safely and methodologically and without getting fired? And what we point out to people is actually this problem has been solved. This was solved with outsourcing. It's been solved with BPL. It's been solved with digitization. And so <clears throat> there are very safe and well-understood techniques to lift and shift your organization safely from one state transformed to a new state of automation first principles. But I agree that the, the term transformation, it does represent a state change. And it's not the fact that you're using automation that transforms you. It's really a comment of the scale. In other words, it's, am I just improving my business by just making it a bit more efficient? Or am I fundamentally changing the way I operate in a way that's fundamentally changing my competitiveness? And, and I think that latter stage is much more of a transformation, but it's, it's shades of gray. There's no point where you hit transformation. It's more of a comment on state change, I think. Hmm. So you mentioned an interesting point about outsourcing. How do you see digital labor being an outsourcing target or can it be? Yeah. Okay. So there's a new term now called cybershoring, which is a play on the sort of offshoring. And the concept is that a company like Blue Prism is not really selling software. We're selling cyber labor. In other words, we're selling a labor force that can execute through digital workers. And there's certain advantages to this. One is that your, your cybershored workforce doesn't go abroad. It's actually sitting with your current workers and intermingling with them. In other words, when you cybershore work, you're basically handing work to digital workers who are perfectly capable of intermingling and interacting with your human workforce. So what you can effectively do, let's say you do go for an automation first transformation. Really what you're doing is you're cybershoring labor to a digital workforce that's fully integrated with your human workforce. So you have complete direct control over it. So one of the challenges with offshoring is you're taking all your operations and lifting and shifting it somewhere else and hoping it works, right? And there's loads of techniques and testing you can do to make sure that happens. When you cybershore, you're getting probably greater economic benefits because a cybershored worker costs less than an offshore worker. But more importantly, those workers are still within your workforce. They're still there. You still have complete control of them. You can even reprogram them to do different things if you like. It's not only cheaper, it's much, uh, much more agile, and it's much more flexible than you would get from traditional offshoring. So it's another way of thinking about automation is that it's not just about getting computer programs to, to do things. You're using programmable digital workers that behave and interact and in many ways like humans do, 
and can work directly alongside your human workforce and can be retrained. As your processes change, you can retrain your digital workers. So it's much more efficient than a traditional offshoring model. Okay, so you've talked about having work being shifted from your internal resources, you know, insourcing, to outsourcing. And now this concept of potentially work shifting from insourcing to cyber shoring or a digital workforce to be able to begin and do work. So I would ask you a hard question, and that is, what is work? Yeah, and, and, and we've gotten very existential on this one because we, we, we're looking at when you have your workforces intermingled, so you've got a true unified workforce and you're assigning work that has to be transferred potentially between humans and digital workers and back at a very high frequency. So in other words, you, if you have a platform that is like BPM, that's managing your unified workforce, your humans and digital workers, you have to address this issue of what is work head on. And so we thought quite hard about this and we thought, oh, what's a process even? And, and one of the things that struck us about what's a process is that it actually has a different definition depending who you speak to. In fact, we talk to customers about it. We find each customer can define it differently. And even within business units, you have different views on what exactly your process is. So we thought, okay, if we're going to build platforms for managing unified workforces, we've got to leave that open. So we explicitly don't define a process. It's entirely up to the business manager to define what a process is, but we do define work. And the way we, we think about it is that you've got workers that have got capabilities and those capabilities are skills, availabilities, digital workers are 24 seven, human workers are nine to five or whatever. They've got security clearances, they've got communication skills, so on and so forth. And I've got tasks that have to get done. And each one of those tasks has got capabilities associated. So at one level, what I can do is if I'm orchestrating work across humans and digital workers, all I'm really doing at that level of abstraction is I'm, t I'm looking, what are my capability demands? And what are my capabilities and my resources? And I'm just bringing them together. So then the question comes, well, then what is work? And actually it's just, a, it's an instruction set. So for a digital worker, it's the instructions for the digital worker to execute the work or the process it's being programmed to do. For a human, it could be just their normal day-to-day uh, -day work. So for example, go back to the mortgage desk. Imagine we reorganized it, reimagined the mortgage desk. It's now almost fully automated, except for one thing, which is by law, mortgage uh, offers have to be signed and approved by a human being for regulatory reasons. So. When you think about that automated process, preparing that application, there's a set of instructions that the digital workers are executing. The operation manager said, look, from when I received the application, the, but then there's another process that occurs depending on whether the, it's approved or not by the human. So again, those digital workers are just executing instruction sets, but so is the human being, because this human being has been trained to evaluate a mortgage and to approve it or not approve it in statewide they're executing a set of instructions as well. So when you think of work like that as really just a set of the execution of a set of instructions, then you've got a very flexible definition that from a work optimization, a work assignment point of view, a scheduling point of view, and particularly if you're talking about work that's being done by both humans and digital workers, the definition works for both. And, and as a manager, you don't necessarily need to worry about that definition of work anymore. What you're worrying about is what are my cases I got to deal with? What are the processes in which work gets done? And what are the tasks that need to get done? And what are the capability needs? And what are my capabilities in terms of resources? And now you've got a way of thinking about getting things done and avoiding the word work here without actually having to define work as anything other than a set of instructions. So, so when you talk about the nature of work changing, it's we're now thinking about, okay, it's really about what skills you bring to the table, what capabilities you bring to the table. 
And the reason why I keep saying that robotics is a challenge for, for, for human labor is because the things that humans do best is are things that involve complex interactions with other people and complex decision-making. And these are the things that there's judgment and we don't have enough people for that. And organizations need to be able to shift more and more work into those kinds of roles and automate the things that don't require that kind of instruction set, that kind of judgment, that kind of thinking. And again, thinking about work as instruction sets is a good way of thinking about it because you can organize work across an organization in a very neutral way when you think about it like that. So taking uh, a view from a strictly automation standpoint, the capabilities mm -hmm. of a digital worker have continued to evolve over time as AI has gotten more um, robust and the applications for specific AI within particular environments has become more targeted to be able to understand an invoice, to be able to document and understand sentiment and whatnot. So when you look at the capabilities, it sounds like there's a spectrum along which those capabilities may fall that could be, this could be a human versus this could be a digital worker, depending on your maturity in your journey, if you yeah. will. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, and it's how comfortable you are building processes like that. So there's two ways to think about it. One, when people are new to automation, they tend to focus on manual processes. And there's a reason for that. One, it's simpler, and the ROI tends to be very high. So it's, it's something you want, it's easy to do. But when you start thinking more strategically, you do start thinking about how do I use the more kind of AI facilities within digital workers? So I'll you know, go back to banking. I mean, Moshrick Banker have done a really good job of looking at a, a trade finance process that was very document heavy and pretty much eliminating the, the need for human to review those documents. And uh, it's all machine read. It's all processed by digital workers now. Um, you know, and trade finance involves dozens of documents. It's a mess because it involves physical documents and verifying that physical products have arrived in docs and that kind of thing. But they've been able to automate that. So it shows that when you want to get sophisticated, you can start leveraging intelligent automation in quite interesting ways. But it also highlights another trend in RPA, which is that RPA has now become a primary method for leveraging AI in general. So it used to be people would think about applying AI in isolated places. Like, hey, I got to process documents. So someone would go and buy a document processing software tool and use it in that sense. What people are doing now is they're saying, well, I need to process documents. So I'm going to automate that process with a digital worker. And I'm going to embed the document processing tool into my digital worker. So that digital worker can process the document. And oh, that digital worker needs to call the customer to, to check some information. So let's use a chatbot now. So now they're embedding the chatbot into the digital worker. So five years ago, you would have had a, a document processing program that we all fight for access over. You'd have a separate chatbot system somewhere that's communicating with customers. And it probably wasn't all strung together very well. Today, what you do with, with intelligent automation, and this is why it's called intelligent automation, is I've got this RPA robotic backbone that's running this whole process. But when it's that robot's gonna to touch a document, the doc, intelligent document processing module kicks in. When it's gotta go talk to a customer, it's now leveraging that chatbot itself. The chatbot's now part of the robot. And this is the big change is that RPA is becoming intelligent, but not because the robots themselves are more sophisticated, but the tools they have access to are becoming more sophisticated. And it doesn't even have to be embedded in the robot. Really good uh, chatbots nowadays come from the big three, four AI you know, companies. And it's because they've got access to data to make to create that, that natural language processing capability. So all, all these robots are doing is calling out to, to the Watsons, to the Amazons, to the Googles, to the Microsofts, and getting the language processing from them and then doing the last mile themselves. And, and that's creating an explosion of AI within the automation space.
So you've mentioned a bunch of different things in terms of specific banks or specific activities that would happen in a particular environment. Very interesting in terms of being fewer humans, more robots, more AI. But where should a journey start? I and mean, where should an organization really start to actually begin that true transformation? We talked about transformation yeah. and what that is. Where do they start this transformation journey? Yeah. Okay. So you really want to, so we're talking state change. So this isn't, hey, I want to start my journey in automation. This is, hey, I got to materially change the way my organization runs. So the first thing you do is, is you look at, well, what organizational units I have that, that are the most, in the most danger or are creating the biggest bottlenecks or, or need to change in certain ways to kind of move faster, got to be more efficient, need to generate more revenue, whatever it is, but where are the businesses I really need, need to attack? And then what you need to do is go through a process. And the first bit is you got to reimagine that business. So you got to take all of your processes. Don't just automate them. That's the worst thing to do. Because if your processes are spaghetti, you've just automated spaghetti. So you got to rethink it and say, okay, where do I have work or processes going on that robots could be doing? And that's, you want to tackle that first. Then you want to look at, okay, where do I need to use my humans and what skills do I need? And then you need to think about, um, okay, now how do I reimagine the way all this whole organization works? Because I'm going to redesign it. So that's the trick is you're not just piecemeal going through your processes and trying to automate them. You're reimagining how that organization is going to have to work. And then once you've done that, you're going and you've mapped that out and you've built your automations and you've retrained your people. You can go through that lift and shift process as you would with outsourcing or with a BPO in that you do have to shadow the organization for a bit. You may want to you know, roll it in stages so you're testing things properly. So in other words, you to make sure that conversion from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things is done in a very safe, methodological way. And there's very established, you know, management techniques for doing that. But the key bit there was that reimagining piece is that when you're going to go through and do this, you, you don't want to be doing this every year or two. And you get one crack at this before the company ever has an appetite to do it again with that bit of the organization. So you want to get a ride. So you do want to take that time to properly rethink it, really start thinking about if I'm going to execute, can I automate this? The first question should always be, I want to run on automation principles. So automation first principles. So it's always that question, can I automate this? But then look at where people are giving you the most value. And you might decide, hey, you know what? The biggest value is customer facing and customer support. So that's where I want to focus my human capital. Anything that's back office, I'm just going to automate it and be as efficient as I can. But that's the kind of process you want to go through. The way people also do it is they, they might just use, you know, go and go back to competition. Maastricht realized that trade finance takes three days on average. It's very commoditized. So you kind of, one trade financer is no different than another one. They realized, hey, if we automate, we could do this in less than a day. And that would give us a massive competitive advantage. You wouldn't just use any, you know, if you want to do it quick, you're going to use Maastricht. So the, they did it backwards. So they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take trade funds and just automate it. Our goal is to get this down to hours instead of days. And they reverse engineered their way through automation to make sure they achieve that goal. So there's other ways, there are different ways of doing it, but you're always tackling a strategic goal. It could be competitiveness. It could be that, it could be, I want to, I want to grow my margins. I want to grow my revenue. I want to grow my market share. An increasingly common one is, is people are looking at, okay, I'm growing my business, but my margins are stagnant. In other words, I've doubled the size of my business, but my margins are still where they were before, which is fine, but it's not really what people want. So what they look at is, okay, if I absorb that new work as I grow my business with automation, my margins are going to widen as I grow. And not only is that going to make me more money, but I'm probably getting exponential valuation increases because I'm not only growing the business, the, the margins are growing along with it, which is extraordinary. And automation sees a key tool in being able to do that. And the reason I mentioned that is that you really want to start with that business goal. You're not automation for automation's sake. 
And when you're doing true transformative automation, you're probably not even doing it for efficiency. You're doing it for some key existential business goal, competitiveness, margins, revenue, growth. And it's delivering that to you because you're doing it at scale. You're disrupting your organization. And you don't do that for pennies. You do that for dollars. So that makes sense. When you start looking at it from a, a much broader viewpoint, I'm going to take a slight tangent here and ask, if you're in an environment where perhaps you aren't the CEO, perhaps you were running a business unit or a functional area, can you still have the same type of transformational journey at that level? Or does it only happen at the global level? No, it's all about scale. And we talk to small banks with 500 people who look at transforming their entire business. We talk to large banks, one business unit owner who's running 500 people, and they're looking at how they can transform. So it's more of a question of the strategic nature of what you're trying to achieve. And it doesn't really matter where you're in the business. If you're on the hook to, you know, grow revenue for your unit by a certain percent or to drive margins in a certain way or, or, what, or grow your market penetration or just be more efficient, you cut costs by 20% but deliver the same outputs. Transformative automation is, is something you want to consider. And it's, it's, so it's applicable at all levels. It's applicable for big businesses and small businesses, business unit directors, operational heads, CEOs. Again, what you're always trying to do is it's a step change. It's that transformation. Right now, my costs are X. And it's got to be 20% less. And I can't do that just by taking a few heads out. I have to fundamentally change the way I'm working. And in fact, I don't have enough heads anyway to get my work done. So how do I do that? And so again, it's all relative to the fundamental change to the way in which you run things and using automation to be that, that, that change or the enabler of that change within the organization. So the last question I have for you is related to commercial versus public sector, because we've talked a lot on the commercial side about being more competitive, about reducing costs, increasing margins and efficiencies and that sort of thing. How can the public sector folks take advantage of this transformational thinking? Yeah, it's the, they've got the same problems. It's just coming from a different direction. So we do a lot with public health in the UK and they're in extreme pressure. They're saying, look, we've got COVID's just run, it's completely changed. You've changed the priorities of the healthcare system, put them under extreme pressure. And they're not getting a lot of additional resource to deal with it. So they're very interested in, look, I've got to treat more patients now. And I've got to treat not just COVID patients, but the backlog of people who haven't been treated because of COVID, but I've got fixed resources. So they're very interested in how they can save cash by automating um, uh, their back office processes and redirect that cash to patient care. So it's exactly the same problem. And they're tackling it in exactly the same way as the private sector, except the way they think about it is different. They're not thinking about profit. They're thinking of how, how much money per patient can I now reallocate because I'm automating something else that was absorbing cash or was creating inefficiencies that was burning cash. And that's true with any other government sector. And sometimes it's just pure effectiveness. We're working with a defense organization and they're looking at how do you use digital workers to automate processes within the military, even right down to of quartermasters in platoons in terms of how do you use digital workers to help people make decisions in, in very life-critical, high-pressure situations. And so they're not thinking about money. They're thinking about lives and they're thinking about effectiveness. And they're realizing that under high-pressure situations, you don't want someone sitting there with a pencil and paper trying to work out the best course of action. But there's a digital worker you can look at, okay, what's the best allocation of supplies Given the current situation, here's four options, and here's why options might be better than others. That's a huge benefit, even at that level. So it's again, it's not about money necessarily, not even about efficiency. Quite often, people are looking at automation for pure effectiveness, and in the public sector. So the 
So we're seeing it in healthcare, we're seeing it in the military, you're seeing it at all levels of government where governments are under pressure to deliver more without raising taxes. And you're not going to do that without at least considering automation to help deliver that. Well, Eric, this conversation has been awesome, and I really appreciate uh, all the insights you've brought to topics like the great resignation and taxes and public sector and private sector and margin improvements. We've gone through a whole lot today, and I, I really want to say thank you for going through that with us, um, especially the parts talking about what transformation really is and what it's all about. I think it's very, very helpful. So again, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.